Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. So, Dean, uh, do you find yourself spending more or less time in grocery stores these days? As did a family? You, did you spend time in grocery stores? Well, so there? I've been banned from doing the grocery shopping in my particular family, but I feel as like a there's family, a longer story behind that. Oh, there's that, a much longer story. It we'll all has that. to do with discretionary spending oh, and my inability to rein that in. Gotcha. So I was kicked off that crew. But Funyuns and Reese Cups. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you name it. It's in the <laughs> basket. And the list is like out the door. Gotcha. But we've got, you know, a family of five, and I would say three of us. Yeah. Go to frequent grocery stores. Yeah, yes. Yeah. We do a lot of grocery shopping. Now, do you feel no like your buying it. habits have changed, especially in the last, oh, let's say three years? I don't know what's really happened in that time. But yeah, really, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, the way we buy it, you know, the whole buy online, pick yeah, up, you know, yeah, curbside, yeah. definitely do that. Uh, all kinds of stuff around that yeah. you know, have changed. Yes. Now, yes. when you go when in the store, buy, all kinds of stuff. Yep. Do you feel like when you go in the store, you're seeing a lot more different options than usual? A lot yes. more of the private label yes. stuff. Yes. Variety. Stuff that the stores are putting out there. I can only Fresh imagine foods. the pressure these folks are on to develop those kinds of products. Yes. No doubt. It's, it's no not doubt. just you can't just stock up with all the latest, no. you know, Kellogg's and no. Coca-Cola yeah. or whatever. You know, yeah. you gotta you gotta yeah. be a little more competitive in that these days, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't just go in and get your your crackers. You know, your your whatever, your saltine crackers, right, right, your bananas right. and And you have hamburgers. a boring shopping list. No wonder you had to improvise. Well, yeah, it's because I, my eyes are on the discretionary, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, today on the podcast, we're talking about uh, groceries. We're talking about the tech challenges, yes. the tech opportunities yes. that might be out there to kind of help our, our our friends, you know, figure out some potential places where maybe mm-hmm. they can find some new opportunities mm-hmm. with their customers based on what groceries have been doing, the trends have been happening. We have David Vanderusen from Epson joining us again. He was on the show uh, maybe a year and a half yep. ago now, I yep, think. Yep, yep. He's back. He wants to talk to us a little bit about some of these trends. Awesome. We're going to dive deep. He's got some great statistics for us. He does. To back out some of this yes. stuff, we're going to talk about some of those challenges. We're going to talk about how midsize and regional chains are doing and mm-hmm. why they are or aren't doing well. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into stuff like how grocers have changed their offerings and their mm-hmm. workflow because, of again, this pandemic and the way people's habits have changed. Yep. And we're going to talk again. We're going to dive a little deeper into this whole idea of this private label, these meal kits, fresh food, grab-and-go options, where that's coming from, and maybe how our bars mm, can benefit from that kind of really? stuff. Really? Yeah. Yes. Not on the consumption, but like no, selling not solutions. on the consumption side. I Got mean, it. sure, yeah. you can benefit from the consumption, I suppose, too. <laughs> you know, there might be some nice healthy <laughs> options out there. Uh, not, I like it. Not Funyuns and Reese Cups. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. All that plus our usual value to the bar and what's tech connecting with us. It's time to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right, as I mentioned, we have a returning guest today. We have David Vanderdusen coming back. He is the product manager for system devices at Epson. David, welcome back to the show. We're glad to have you back. First of all, we love your setup there. You guys have done a great job at creating an awesome, cool little you know media room for this. So we appreciate that. And, and a big shout out to the folks behind the scenes that, that make that happen. But thanks for coming back. What have you been up to over the last year or so? Thanks for the invite. I'm excited to be here, uh, especially talking about grocery. You know, I do love to eat. Um, but yeah, and to be in our new commercial demo room here, you know, as we've been able to welcome our partners, our customers back, it's really nice to have a uh, an area to kind of show off the solutions we're working on, uh, what we can bring, and be able to to improve the experience when we can join in in events like this. So excited to be here. Thanks again for for back. And you know, I've, last year. You mentioned product manager for for system devices over here at Epson, uh, working with a lot of the flagship uh, point of sale and thermal printers like the T88s, the H6000s. You know, the grocery sector has been a really interesting uh, area for us to keep our eye on. Obviously, we went through a huge spike in use as they remained open through the entirety of the last three years through whatever event that was. and then it continued to grow, right? But it's it's a, a consistent need there, but it's been changing in a lot of uh, a lot of interesting ways and in ways that are easy to relate directly to 
because I've seen my own shopping habits change uh, in that area as well. Oh, and by the way, before we dive into yeah. it, Epson has upped their game uh, as far as you know the environment that David is in right, and right. the technology they're right. using here. So for all future guests of the Tech Connect podcast, <laughs> just refer to this one. Uh, they're in an, he's, he's in this nice, not a lab, I don't know, what did you call it again? Uh, like a, a, an experience, right? A customer experience kind yeah. of area? Yeah. It's a part of our our uh, customer uh, experience center here at our headquarters in Los Alamitos. Very, so, very nice. Very yeah, there. okay. We're not going to expect you maybe to go quite that far, <laughs> but maybe hey, something. We got standards. Maybe John. something Come a little on. more high tech than your kid's bedroom. There you know, you I don't know. Okay. You know, well, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> see yeah. what you can do. Fair enough. Oh, hey, look, we got even a little behind all the right. scenes here to see what, this, what it looks like. <laughs> For all That's, those of you listening in the audio, I apologize. Go on to YouTube. Yeah, seriously, and watch. go check it yeah, out. Yeah, they've got a nice it's, little studio it's, going. It's there. worth it's worth the check out here. All right, John, let's get into it. All right. Well, okay. David kind of teed me up here a little bit of you know grocery habit have changed and things happening in the grocery yeah, environment. Yeah. We've obviously had some challenges over the last few For years. Sure. There was that, you know, pandemic thing. It's are we have we reached like Voldemort level with the pandemic I yet think where so. we're just like yeah. the thing that shall it's not just, be named. Yeah, right. Know? Uh <laughs> there's inflation, you know, obviously we've been yeah. dealing with a lot of inflationary issues, oh, increased man. competition, you mm -hmm. know, and and again, all this, you know, the ideas of, you know, online purchasing now, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, a click and collect kind of thing, mm -hmm. or I mean, you've even got a lot of retailers that are just, you know, doing delivery or mm -hmm. ship to home. I, I'll be honest, I'm one of these folks that got into the whole yeah. meal kit delivery service whatever, thing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so it's a lot, a lot taking, a, potentially taking business away from grocery mm -hmm. stores. And yet, recent reports seem to indicate that mid-sized and regional chains are still seeing growth. Hmm. So let's start there, David. Why is that? How is this happening that despite all these things that should be going wrong in grocery, <laughs> they're still experiencing growth? Yeah. And, you know, I think there's a couple key things that are, are keeping that demand there, keeping it in the, the grocery stores. One is just the continued work from home, right? And, you know, appreciate you, you team me up with some of the stats. I do like to go and, and dive into some of the reports and surveys that are, are released. You know, this one's from uh, McKinsey with their, their state of the grocery. And, you know, they point out there that 58% of people can still work from home one day a week. 35% have the option to work from home five days a week, so the entire work week, keeping people closer to their homes, closer to you know the kitchen and the the rest of their pantry that they have there, increases their you know desire and extends the behavior change that we saw during the the pandemic, where they're staying home more, they're cooking more meals, they're bringing in the the ready made or the the meal kits to use there. So keeping people closer to their home through work from home, not having the full return to office back to the situation we were uh, before the pandemic. I think that's one of the, the real key ones to, to consider. You know, so we talk a lot about, or I'd like to jump straight to the buying behaviors, what they're doing, but where the consumer and the, the customer is buying from Right, this hasn't reverted to what it was prior to the pandemic. They're still staying in their own neighborhoods more. They're working from home. They're staying in those areas and continuing with the the changes and preferences that we saw uh, rise during the pandemic. A couple of things that I've noticed here, and maybe it's uh, so there is there is a, a smaller store, if mm -hmm. you will, mm -hmm. up in my neck of the woods, mm -hmm. up up in northern Cincinnati, and I've noticed in kind of you know preparing for this particular uh, show here. I noticed a couple things about there. They really focused on the experience shopping. I feel like much more than we'll just say the larger grocery right, stores. Right. Experience shopping in the sense that you could shop, but you could. They had like a bar inside, and you could go and have a drink right. and, and stuff like that. I know some of the large uh, again, ones. Again, another that. reason you're not allowed to go shopping, right? Right, because you know I'm <laughs> sidestepping into the bar. But seriously, I mean, so but they had other services like they have wood fired pizzas that you can like you can get right. and you can. Right. So we ordered one. We were a, a bunch of people. We ordered one, and then we sat at the bar, you know, had a drink, and then so it turned in. It was more than just grocery. Right. Then their selection was astronomical in certain like areas, like cheeses. I've never seen as many cheeses yeah. as this small yeah. grocery store. Like whole wheels of cheese, and it's like. 
I'm a cheese guy. So they have like so an I'm, olive bar or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, well, right. So, yeah. Um, but and then just additional services. It felt like they had more people running around, kind of like the Trader Joe's. I guess if you right. ever been in a Trader Joe's, you know they they really kind of pride themselves on those types of things. So I was noticing that maybe that's what where midsize is kind of seeing their niche is is in some of these areas. Right. 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 So it's catering to you know yeah we got more people working from home, more people having discretionary time to go and shop. Everybody turned into a foodie during the pandemic. So, yep. you know, yep. it seems somewhat intuitive, right, <laughs> that we're starting to see our eyes in that. Yeah, the days of, uh, what was it, bread making, right. and sourdough, and yes. all the stuff that everybody was doing at the beginning of the pandemic. That's there, right. Like, just yeah. all trying all these. I mean, I, again, I, as I mentioned, you know, I, I got into the whole meal kit thing. Mm-hmm. I love to cook anyway, but I definitely found myself cooking at home a lot more often. You know, we obviously weren't going out nearly as much, mm-hmm. didn't have as much reasons to be out. And then, you know, to David's point, working at home, yep. I need I need food now five days a week for, yep. for lunches, too. That's know, right. For me, for my wife, when she was working at home too, you know, mm-hmm. so there's just a lot of reason to to keep going to the store. And yeah, you know, and I know we'll kind of get into this a little bit more later too. Like, I don't feel like I started spending less. If not, if anything, I probably started spending more. Right. But that was because I was shifting funds from, you know, eating out or from other things, you know, from the gas expenditures, mm-hmm. you know, and able to move that over to groceries and now, you know, have more of that at home as well. Yeah. So David, something else you kind of threw in here, some stats from that McKinsey report that mentioned that the, you know, the preferences for online and delivery orders, which obviously we all got into when it came to restaurants and, mm. and quick service. And, you know, the 50 percent during the pandemic, uh, there was up 50 percent during the pandemic and rising even further this year. And I guess like that would make sense, too, because, again, you know, we think of the restaurants that had to do all the shifts and the pivoting during that time. Mm-hmm. Like if you wanted to still have any kind of business, you had to move. You had to move. Right? Exactly. The grocery stores, obviously, they had to stay open. They didn't have a choice. They had to figure it out and stay open anyway. But right. the smart ones also did maybe start thinking about like, all right, is there a way that we can do, mm-hmm. you know, that we can do BOPUS, that mm-hmm. we can do mm-hmm. curbside, you know, mm-hmm. pickup or whatever. And again, you're not, you know, so you're you're not losing out on people coming to the store because they were scared to come to the store mm-hmm. or or to your point, maybe you know where they would normally shop was closer to work than mm-hmm. than home now. Right. But now you're giving these options of that are convenient and quick and easy to pick up stuff. Yep. You know, and, and again, you're you're just meeting this this demand and this need and just mm-hmm. and, and evolving into not just the 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 restaurant and the fast food space, but also into the grocery space. So, you know, did you have more to add on that, David? Yeah, I I just think that one's a, a really interesting one because you certainly have that increased demand for for delivery by online and especially if you're the regional or the local grocer who can compete and differentiate themselves on the experience of having something like wood-fired pizza in a bar in your location you know, how do you continue to deliver that type of experience or keep that high level experience for your customer when they're not coming into the store. So it's a it's a tough balancing act for that because it's expensive to fulfill through delivery or the the new workflows for for doing something like curbside. Um, and I just want to throw out that you know I I very much like tra- shopping at my local Trader Joe's, but I think that would be improved by having a bar in the in the grocery. So maybe we can run that one up the the. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Box. Yeah. yeah, I'm a little jealous of this whole, uh, you know, the your local kind of <laughs> yes. smaller look. Because yes. I don't have that. I've got, you I know, know. I've got one of the big dogs, and that's pretty much it. That's I mean, pretty much it. There's but like a tiny little, like, you know, kind of grab-and-go convenience mm-hmm. type store mm-hmm. down the way. But, you know, that's yeah. that's just a, oh, I need something basic, and I happen to be well, driving it, past it's, here. It's north of the city. I, it would be even smaller, because I, I really only think they have, like, three locations. Right. But they're as big as a Trader Joe's. I mean, the the, the store footprint. So I love yeah, that. Really interesting. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Well, then, okay, we've kind of touched on this. Go ahead, David. I was just going to say, and I might be jumping ahead of you on this one, so I apologize if I am, but it it raises a really important point in my view of what the movement for more private uh, brands, the, the wider offerings in the grocery stores, the changes in that product offering, what it isn't. And that's a race to the bottom just on price. Not once, as we've been talking through this, we've talked about the experience, wanting to go toward uh, ready-made meal kits, the delivery, the convenience. Not once have we said, oh, well, we're going, uh, I'm only buying store label ones because I noticed they were a little bit cheaper. As a matter of fact, you mentioned exactly the the opposite. Um, and where that kind of trend comes in and stays in, that's that's where I start to get a little excited. You probably see it through the through the camera here, thanks to the nice lighting that that our, our team put in put in place. Um, but those are areas where you can 
bring the differentiation, where you can put a system in that uh, shows what you are bringing to your customers, your customers bringing to their customers, um, and and carve out that niche, right? Because it's not one universal preference that the the entire country is moving toward. It's it's you know we're seeing a lot of that individual demand back and forth, what they're looking for. Um, so I think I jumped ahead here just because I'm excited about it. But you know that the important note that I I'm I'm trying to convey there is even with delivery, digital orders, majority of the sales still happening in the stores. And that experience and the, the identity of those uh, grocers that they cultivate in their location, they want to extend out through all of their digital ones. And it's not just a, a compete on price situation. It's how do, I, how do we stand out from the crowd and really engage with our community, our shoppers, our customers who are coming into the store and want to to stay with us. Really yeah. good point. If I could, so I, I, I stumbled across another survey that was by the Progressive Grocer. Didn't even know that magazine was out there, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, they have they have some stats I want to throw at okay. you guys here, just so we can you know mull on these a little bit as we have the dialogue. So and it, it talked about in store technology, and the survey was you know are you up to date today? What are you planning on doing? What's a major upgrade you need to do right now? Right. And then twelve and twenty four months out. So, you know, some of the top things that people feel like they, they have a good handle over, you know, easy stuff like Wi-Fi for customers, although I don't know that, you know, I would use that. It, maybe I'm, that's I'm sitting I've at thought the bar. About yeah, that's, there you go. See, if I'm sitting yeah. at the bar, I you need it. Check, but your, the food check the scores. Sa yeah. Food safety was a, a high up there. Food labeling was one thing that they felt like they had good solutions for. Um, but what are some of the, they're going to start doing major upgrades coming up? Their POS systems, uh, real-time uh, uh, real store monitoring. So I, mm -hmm. I think that kind of gets to where David's talking about. You know, people are coming back in. They want to know what's going on with these people that are coming in. Uh, and then they're making ma major investments in click and collect and curbside pickup. Um, so those are the things that are happening like right now. And then if you look at the major ones that are maybe two years out, uh, you start getting into th such things as like scan and go technology uh, or shopper tracking where you're actually getting more right, into right. the analytics of that. Uh, so it's kind of fascinating. But I, I think some of this survey of what where the in-store technology is going is kind of matching up to what we're seeing behaviorally yep, yep. and in the society. You know, this will be a good 1B episode to mm -hmm. the one we just had a couple of weeks back with visibility right. about yes. the whole stores and medium. Yes. The in-store in experience, yes. the machine vision, again, all that kind of analytics and Absolutely. tracking type stuff. So. Yep, for sure. Well, David, you kind of, you know, we, we did kind of talk about our next question here, which is this idea of, you know, how grocers have changed their workflows and offerings. And one other stat that you put in here that, that I thought was really interesting was that um, it was from IHL that mid and high income shoppers are not reducing their spend, mm. which again, I can vouch for that. You mm -hmm. know, when I, when I think of, you know, how much I was spending pre pandemic mm -hmm. to, you know, during and now, and to be honest, it probably went up, you know, I, I, I and granted, you know, you can not just inflation, right? Exactly. You could say, <laughs> well, there's inflation prices are up, you know, bacon's ridiculous right now, stuff right. like that. Sure. But I also, when I, you know, because I started focusing, I, I was already one of the, the folks that was all in on like the pickup, you know, the, place my order online, go pick it up. I was in on that long before pandemic mm -hmm, anyway. Mm -hmm. But I've also become very conscious about like, you know, bargain shopping. And and to your point, you know, I will I will sometimes look and say, okay, if it's not something where like the, I don't care what brand it is, then I'll look at the store brand and see if that's, you know, the, the cheaper option, whatever's the cheapest option, whatever I've got some kind of coupon for. And, you know, I'll, I'll call it out. I'm a Kroger shopper for the most part. That's the only really local grocery I have. Mm -hmm. They are very, very adamant about their, like, simple truth line, mm -hmm. and, uh, their private label line. Like, when you, you know, like, when, yep. I'm, when I'm loading up coupons on my car That's to right. place an order, there's, there's some weeks they will dump, like, 50 or 60 new coupons Boom, right. that are all store label simple yep. truth yep. products. They're, they're pushing it hard. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm, like, sorting through, like, well, I just want to find where there's a, is there a, you know, Pepsi, you know, <laughs> coupon in here somewhere. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, you know, they're promoting, like, 60 different, you know, simple yeah. truth Forget brands. Forget about which that. I, I get these. Yeah, yes. exactly. I, I understand why they're doing it. I always it. thought that was a dichotomy in, you know, in the grocery, right? I yeah, mean, no you doubt. You have these major brands, and yet you're competing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. I, the brands yeah. probably aren't too scared just yet. No, you know, maybe, not. I don't know, maybe they are. Maybe there's, they are now. There's I probably mean, something going on at the back yeah, end. Right, there. right. 
Well, then let's so let's then dive a little further into the you know, the whole aspect of private label mm. meal kits, grab and go options. I know my local store. I feel like you know in, in the last several years has only continued to expand like their deli offerings. You know, nice like you know a, a refrigerated sushi section, cheese bar, mm-hmm. olive bar, mm-hmm. all this stuff that. You normally don't think of when you're just grab and go in a grocery store, but now there's so many options to, to buy really cool, fresh items. So obviously this means more options for label printing. And that's where the heart of what we're getting to here and where Upset obviously <laughs> excels. Uh, so what are grocers doing to make this aspect of their business stand out to shoppers? How does the labeling part change when you know, you're really trying to like, again, kind of compete with your the, the brands that are actually in your store, the national and yeah. world brands that are right. in your store? How is, how's that working out right now? Yeah. And it's, it comes down to why are you offering that private label? Why are they doing that? I love the sushi example because it, it always blows my mind that we can get excellent raw fish every day at a grocery store. And I've loved the, love some of the dishes I, I've gotten there. Um, but it, there's a couple of underlying reasons that we've seen in, in some of these other surveys. Uh, FMI put one out. Almost half of people say they they're not buying private label because of the price. They're buying it because of the quality. Another, you know, 40, 40% is just they prefer the taste of these. And when you look at how, especially on a smaller scale, right? When you're when you're getting into local, the regional, where it, it's not economically viable to be doing runs of tens of thousands or more labels for a, a private label item. You know, being able to have dynamic labeling, high impact color, things that you can do very localized that speak to the value proposition that that private label is bringing, right? It, it's not just a private label here. It, it's made with cheese from uh, you know, the farm across the hill there. Uh, this is our, our healthier option where we added no, none of these additives, or this is the, the vegetarian option, the vegan option. Um, you know, this is the perfect one for the kids when they come home from, from soccer practice. Right? It, having the ability to do the dynamic labeling on demand, just as many as you need for the products that you're producing then, allows you to really hone that narrative and that positioning of those products against the national brands, against just more generic ones. It really lets the, uh, it's almost the the next natural step to having something like a a bar in the store or wood-fired pizza. Hey, this is a great experience for when you're here, but look, we also packaged up this experience and this is why it's gonna be superior to something that is just mass produced. I love that because I've seen that in my grocery store. You know, the, the right. grab and go bag, yep. I think is a perfect labeling uh, opportunity, right? And you see that, like yep. I, I see stores that are trying to personalize whatever, maybe personalize is going a little too far, but come up with these kits, mm-hmm. you know, these little mm-hmm. ready-made kits, mm-hmm. little grab and go kits. And it's it's a bag, right? With a with a nice label on it and things of that nature. These, this is the trend, right? And even getting down to the personalization, which we talked about a little bit, I think, in the last uh, podcast that we did uh, with David, I mean, it, it can get that granular, right? Uh, you know, if you have the right infrastructure in place, and maybe it is, you know, hey, Dean, here's your bag, right? Here's your personalized grab and go bag. Right, right. Uh, that they made for you. So yeah. 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 Like dynamic with printing. like Dean's face on it. You know, well, right. You, well, yeah. I don't know that you would want that, but sure. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, you make sure that no one else took your, took your particular <laughs> bag, you know? Oh, it doesn't look like me. That's not the right Dean. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Got it. I mean, after you've had like five or six drinks at the bar, maybe you need that. And you're like, <laughs> you look at him, you're like, I can't read that. Oh, there's my face. Ah, I'm just going to take so. John's. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's actually an important point though, because it's, it's one that doesn't may not get as much uh, attention here, but performing the 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 grab and grow grab and go easy for me to say, preparing that, putting it out, uh, dedicating the labor resources, which are also scarce right now, into picking and pre- and preparing that order. Right, the margins get thinner and thinner, and everything we can do to make sure that David doesn't grab the wrong bag. Right, because that's a disappointment both for me and and Drew, whose bag I took. Um, you know, using 
the the labels there to reduce some of the friction operationally you know that's a almost a second uh, we we've been talking about it as a secondary benefit but it's it's really one of the easier uh, improvements to measure once these printers go in and these processes go in as you see errors uh, come down as you see pick times and processing times for orders um, become quicker because of the efficiency of improving that uh, that process and then you know instead of having to go through you know two dozen virtual coupons to find the the coupon that we want for this great grab-and-go item that we had can be incorporated into the label and link into a loyalty system. So there's a lot of capabilities there to select the type of information or the, the type of data that we want to go on the label. And we get, one, the operational uh, improvements from using these. And then two, right, the engagement with the customer. Um, and, you know, uh, coming back to, to some of the, the differences in labeling there and where it can where it can be uh, chosen which ones. There are gonna be aspects of, of labeling for these, especially on the operational side, where you really are just looking for the thermal monochrome label. We need it to be reliable, we need to be able to print them all, we need to be able to apply them directly to our products and get them where they need to go. And again, that you know we've, we've identified delivery, curbside, grab and go, uh, third party delivery, you know, which in, in introduces a whole nother one. And there's the, you know, well, exciting for me, uh, efficiency aspect of that. And then you get into the color labeling, which are, you know, really exciting ones that we engage with a lot more because they're out on the, the grocery floor, you know, grabbing our attention, communicating what it is that's different about these products and why I should be interested. And then the, you know, going even the further with the personalization, that's where we can start to leverage you know, loyalty or the, the, the couponing, you know, that's a, I like to think of it as an, a, a way, and I may not have the tech jobs to implement this on my own. Um, but the dynamic aspect of all those labels almost gives us a way to pursue a lot of the initiatives we see done in, in apps, um, with things like, uh, prioritizing the, the coupons that are delivered, personalizing loyalty ones, and actually having a physical manifestation on that with these dynamic label printers. So it's, you know, looking at the, the labels there and just kind of grounding myself back in, in where we started this one. You know, we've talked a lot about the, the personalization, the experience aspect of that. But there's the, the opportunity here to, to get two value areas out of improving the labeling use. One for the efficiency and saving the margins of these alternate uh, order flows um, that that are continuing to grow. Then the other is positioning, you know, the products you want or the experience you want, so you can kind of push toward filling the baskets with the products that are are most profitable for the grocers. Love and it. here's another good bit of good news that I think we can layer on top of what David was just talking about. There is an increase in capital investment happening right now at the grocery level. So I think he just did a great job of painting the picture of how mm. a lot of these things are kind of stitching together, right? Right. I mean, the printer is not on an island away from the app and, and the experience and the omni-channel that, you know, grocers are going after. Right. So grocers have increased their capital expenditure by 1.3 times their historic levels currently. This That's what's happening now. And we all know grocers are kind of like, they're cheap, right? They, right. they, they operate on razor-thin <laughs> yeah, margins yeah. that I know we're yeah. going to get to. So to see that, they're, in, that they, they're increasing their capital expenditures on, you know, types of technology and these types of things that we're talking about also throw out, consider that venture capital firms raised $10 billion for grocery startups in the first wow. six months of 2021. So I know that was a year ago, but you can see that there's that when VC money going into grocers. I mean, I would have never put that on my well, radar. I mean, as, again, you know, it's, something. it's the one business you can't just get rid of. Like, you know, That's everyone's right. going to need right. groceries. It's kind of like healthcare. Right. Yeah, exactly. Healthcare is there, <laughs> utilities, groceries. You know, we need all Until these. Until they figure out a way to give us one of those little like futuristic, you know, pills oh, that we can eat that feels like a full meal for and a gives week, us all the you're good for a week. We yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
we all still need to go to the grocery store. Even if we're not buying the healthiest stuff, we're still right. there. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, this this kind of reminds me of in my my previous life before Blue Star. I've mentioned this before. I you know, worked for a food service equipment company. And yep. a big yep. part of, and I've talked about this a little before too, a big part of our our kind of go-to-market strategy, you know, to differentiate us from other companies was this idea of visual merchandising being mm-hmm. an important part of how you how you go out there and, and position whether you are you That's know, right. running a cafeteria yep. or whether you are... All the way are, down to the colors. Yeah, and, uh, yeah a, right. a deli, a bakery, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of work we did with grocery stores. Two of the... There was like five fundamentals of visual merchandising that we always put out there to our, our, our partners. And two of those were color and communication. Mm. And color labeling accomplishes both of those. Boom. You know, yep. you've, That's you've, right. you can create, you know, colors that that pop and that make people pay attention, make them stop mm-hmm. and look. Again, we just talked about the whole store as a medium thing. We're talking about digital displays as the stop and look. Well, guess what? A great label, a great, you know, something that that pops off of a, you know, if you're, if you're looking at like a, you know, let's say like a refrigerated case mm-hmm. that's filled up with, you know, salads mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. I don't know, yogurts and beverages, whatever it is, all stuff maybe you've made in-house and, and pre-packaged daily. Mm-hmm. And if you just look at it from afar and all you just see is just a bunch of plastic packaging with stuff in it, you may not be all that interested. Like, whatever, I know what that is. I'm not going to take a look at it. If you glance over and you're seeing all these cool colors popping off, maybe they use, you know, reds for, yes, you know, right. spicy foods and they're yep. using green for like clean yep. foods, uh-huh. you know, whatever it is. That's the stuff that you pay attention to. We and there was there was research behind this that indicated like people stop and pay attention mm-hmm. when color catches they their do. eye. They do. They want to come closer to it and that's look right. and see what it is. Yep. And that's all you need. That's that whole entice yep. them, draw them in, yep. and then once they're drawn in, they're a little more likely to browse, a little more likely to and buy. It speaks something. to the quality issue, right? Like yeah. like if you come across, you, you got the whole color palette going. It, it lures you in, and then like you walk up to in a grocery store, whether it's like a hot meal or something that's right. already prepared, and in the packaging is nice, and, all, and then the label is like falling apart. You know, that would that would have a negative impact. But if it's this nice, gorgeous, right. you know, color palette right. matches what with the whole color scheme, that's exactly where these folks right. are going yeah. need to go. Exactly. For the customer or, or you know, let's say there's a picture, you know, an image of what the food is, yeah, the right. prepared food looks like yeah, and what's yeah. inside the box, mm-hmm. you know, like if it's just something where you just have a flat static black and white, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh chicken tenders and broccoli, and it's like C H I X and uh, broccoli's misspelled or something. Taped on yeah, the it's side. Just taped it's just on. taped on. That's all it says. <laughs> Are you more likely to pick that up and take it home, not having any clue what it actually That's is right. in there? Yeah. Or the one where there's a... You know, a nice vibrant label and maybe a gorgeous picture well, of the completed meals. Well, again, right? It gets like. to the customer experience and 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 the grocers really they know they need to up their game. Exactly. It's it's you know it's the whole retailing, if you will, of food that, that has made a difference. Anyway, Definitely. I wanted to throw that on there. No, that, that was good. Money's starting to get dumped yep. into here. So, yep. so yeah, there's good there's stuff. again opportunity. We're going to get to a little more of that opportunity here in a little bit too. Yeah. So, David, let's let's wrap up this main conversation talking a little bit about you know some of the other store technologies that are out there. I know Epson isn't just about printers, and you guys you know play in other spaces too. So how does this, you know, this whole idea of, you know, more uh, private labeling, more grab-and-go options, more opportunities to bring people in store and give them, you know, unique options, how does this enable some of the other store technology initiatives like online ordering, self-checkout? Do those really work together in this situation? Are we talking about competition here when it comes to this goal of, again, increasing basket size and emphasizing the store brands? Yeah, and I don't think we can ever consider online ordering delivery, uh, you know, pickup. I don't think we ever consider them uh, competition again. They've really become table stakes. So if you, if you don't handle them well, if you don't put systems in place to handle them well, it's just simply going to put you at a, at a disadvantage. Um, but having, having said that, you know, the, the move toward those, enabling those systems, because they are st- table stakes, and we've, we've mentioned a couple times, they, they tend to be more, uh, more expensive workflows, right? They came in. If you wanted to stay open, you wanted to, to catch that 50% increase that we talked about in online ordering and, uh, and, and delivery that we saw during the pandemic. If you wanted to catch that, you put any system that you could into place to be able to deliver orders through these channels. With that capital investment that you mentioned that's coming in, you know, there's a chance now to optimize it, to do this in the best way possible, not just for preserving margins, but also for delivering the, uh, the improved experience. So I think they go really nicely together as, that, uh, as the investment comes back in. 
as processes and, and workflows are re reworked and improved from, you know, as the, what we can do now as best we can to really what we see is the ideal way to handle these workflows. You know, then it, it plays really, really nicely in because it's similar solutions that can help you uh, improve with both the digital orders that are coming in and with the, the branding of the private label or calling out and drawing attention um, to what it is uh, in, in the stores there. And, you know, the, jumping a, a, a bit off here, but, you know, recently had one about visibility or stock visibility, you said, correct? And when you're ordering online, if I have a particular brand of, say, orange juice that I greatly prefer, right? Now, when if that's all, if that's uh, out of stock, as I'm trying to order online, I'm getting prompted with something else. Uh, but now the store can see if they're capturing these ty this type of information uh, that I actually wanted orange juice brand A, but I'm settling for orange juice brand B, and through you know, the labeling for inventory management and creating that kind of universal view, uh, you know, you can, you can then leverage that, you have more data on your, your customers, a better view into the systems. So it's, you know, they all have an opportunity to work together to, to enable them. Um, and it's with the, the weight that is given to, uh, ordering online or the, the digital orders and the, the preferences for that continuing to grow, still being a very important part of the business, table stakes to really be successful, but not overtaking necessarily the, the in-store ones. I think it's, it's really important to look at how whatever solution is going in can be leveraged and improve multiple aspects of, uh, of engaging with the customer and delivering the experience, right? We can't just put in a label printer only to do this one thing uh, because it improves, you know, the, the curbside experience. We're looking at leveraging that same type of, of solution, connecting it to other systems, driving multiple labels or, or pieces of information perhaps um, to deliver that experience but also be driving interest and, and engagement with the customer into the, the items that we want to provide or other uh, order areas that allow us to build, build baskets, build uh, loyalty, build engagement with them. Let's go a little bit down because you provided some information on the economics of how some of these things impact the store, and and hopefully or hopefully you can help me navigate some of this. So one of the one of the uh, one of the charts that you had there, David, was you know talking about margins, grocery grocer margins, and you know if if it's in store, it looks like groceries operate at a two or two to four percent margin, right? I mean, kind of average again, razor thin, and we're used to that in distribution, so it's no big deal. But anyway, um, but when you look at the the margins, it, it, it economically, it doesn't look like it's beneficial for grocers to do, for example, the grocer picks from the store and it's home delivered, or the grocer picks up in store and people are coming in and in, in getting it. If they don't associate some fees associated to that, it's actually a negative margin proposition for them to get into that, right? So maybe your commentary there, is that where we're, we're going to start seeing, I mean, I know fees are in, involved in all that, but what are you seeing grocers making up some of those negative margins that are happening specifically in those areas that we're all wanting more of? We want more mm -hmm. buy online pickup, right? Mm -hmm. We want the personalization, all that great stuff. But if it's having a negative impact on margins that are already razor thin, what's the reality that maybe they're investing in it today, but that's not a long-term play. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I always appreciate the, the call back to the charts. It gives me a chance to go into these surveys I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but we're, we're going to bring in a couple of, of the, the sources and the charts to, to kind of address this one. You know, the, the chart we're, we're thinking about initially came from, from Bain on that one. And again, exactly as you mentioned, the 2 to 4% uh, margins in store, thin for grocers. And it's, it's very expensive. I mean, it, the they have in the most common models, right? 
an expectation to lose 15 points of margin if the grocer picks an online delivery from the store themselves. That's unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. I mean, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. But it's not all doom and gloom with that because those are really based on how they do it now. And you look at the investment, you look at the, the options that are coming, there is a opportunity to save a large amount of that margin or preserve it, I should say, um, through optimizing the process. You know, the 15% the uh, or the 15% loss in margin coming from Bain can be kind of balanced if we go back and look at some of the, the IHL data. You know, they expect that these things, you through optimizing the process, you can preserve about half of that margin in the store. And that doesn't necessarily take into account or do, uh, doesn't limit you to just those optimizations. You know, we've seen uh, square footage in these, these grocers being rededicated to being almost a micro fulfillment center within the store. Uh, you know, in some of the, the larger brands, actual dark stores, no customer foot traffic and just dedicated to delivering those. You know, we talked about all the, the startup and venture capital investment. There's some really interesting uh, startups in those areas looking just at the last mile delivery, um, which is the most expensive mi mile by far. Um, so the, especially that, that Bain chart showing how incredibly uh, expensive some of these, these alternate ones, you know, I don't see that as a reason not to pursue those. As a matter of fact, I've already called them table stakes. I've said you have to do these to be, to be successful. I think that's more a flag and a, an area to focus on. These are the biggest opportunities to deliver incredible value to the grocers and to their customers. All right, so, you know, it can start simply by improving uh, the amount of time it takes for a uh, an employee to go and pick the order and deliver it to the, the, the pickup station. Maybe we do that with carts. Maybe we do that with labels. Maybe we get them a, a mobile device that allows them to scan and see orders as they move around the store. You know, maybe we combine that with looking at some of these, these new fulfillment or delivery services and startups that are addressing some of the last mile uh, issues. So, you know, the economics are a little scary when you look at it right off, right off the bat, but there's a, a large number of ways to pick pieces of that and prove it. And if you can tie those to multiple delivery streams or multiple order streams to, to be more efficient across them, you drive a lot of value from that solution that you're offering to to the grocer to improve their their business model. Really good, and I'll tie it in. I'm going back to the uh, progressive grocer that I that I saw. You know, mm -hmm. some of the information that came out of that, and I think this is all squaring up on that. Because you're right, David. Where there's maybe some scary numbers on the margin side, what that really means is opportunity for retailers. And so I'm going to give you my var. What you know, what's in it for the var early? Uh, so let me throw this at you. When 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 asked these grocers, what 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 supply chain technologies? Because I think David's hitting the nail right on the head right. in the sense that in order to get there, they have to get more efficient and right, do some right. of these types of things. So where are they going to be investing their dollars? Where, the, where are they going to start doing major upgrades? Uh, well, 15%, and these are the higher numbers, warehouse uh, management is yep, where they yep. need to, you know, kind of back a house management, real-time inventory management, mm -hmm. order management. Those are the top three of major upgrades that grocers are, are, are thinking about employing right now. So, Makes right, sense. it's kind of like cleaning up the back of house, making sure you got all your stuff together right, and, right. and oriented correctly. Uh, and then when you think about inventory manage, spe management specifically, some of the investments are going to go into, again, real-time reporting, kind of computer vision of what's happening uh, in the space, machine Machine learning and AI are the top four. So, you know, I, I think there's this, this whole drive to get more efficient to enable those types of things, win back some of that margin right. through some of these technologies. Yeah, right? I agree. Yeah. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tack on two quick things of uh, based on what we've been talking about so far. One, we talked a lot about this, this optimization piece, this mm. idea of optimizing the technology that you've already brought in. Well, I think of this also in a way of, let's say, you know, you you were a grocery store, and we know this happened with restaurants too, mm -hmm. but definitely I'm sure with grocery stores where the pandemic happened, 
And we all knew like, okay, we got to make some changes. Um, We didn't previously offer curbside pickup. We're going to offer that now. (laughs) Um, We didn't have much self-service technology, if any at all. We got to do that. do it now, yeah. So the the necessity and the urgency of doing that meant you probably might have settled for technology that wasn't where you really wanted it to be, Mm. wasn't the best that's available, wasn't the best option that was out there. Could be the stuff that does engender, you know, longer workflows, isn't as you know productive as it could be, isn't profitable as it could be, is you know again those those margin losses that are coming out of it, and so maybe some of those folks might be thinking like, well, why would I do anything more or do anything on top of this? Why would I add on? Why would I try something different when this is already killing my business, mm-hmm. even though I know I have mm-hmm. to have it now? Mm-hmm. That conversation could be like, well, hey, what you chose in. May of 2020, when you were desperate <laughs> and you were hemorrhaging money because people didn't want to come in. Yeah. It's or, actually advanced a lot. Yeah, it's exactly. Now not as There's bad. a lot of stuff that's changed since then yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's gotten better. Right. How will we find you something that's a little bit better, a little more cost effective, yep. enables better workflows, whatever it is? There's mm-hmm. probably opportunities to upgrade where they currently have. So I think yeah. that Good can point. be a big part of the optimization piece. The other thing here, too, is when David, you were talking earlier about, you know, the idea of, you know, knowing when someone has decided, hey, I don't want or this brand is out of stock. So because it's out of stock, I'm going to choose brand B. I'm willing Mm -hmm. to settle for brand B. Mm -hmm. That's something I've noticed, you know, in my whole Mm -hmm. click and connect Mm -hmm. aspect, you know, when, when I'm ordering something, when I'm got a big order, I place it about an hour before I'm scheduled to pick it up. I get that text that says, Hey, you had certain items that were unavailable in your order. Please review. And it'll give me the option to check those out and see what they're offering me as the substitution. And I can make a decision. Do I want the sub or I would just want to say, no, I'm, you know, I only wanted what I wanted and I'm not going to take something else instead. That is valuable data Mm -hmm. that, you know, again, for any business that wants data and wants analytics Mm -hmm. and wants to understand what their customers are doing. Think about that same customer in your store. If they're got customers in your store and they bought brand B mm-hmm. because they couldn't find brand A, mm-hmm. you don't know that That's right. in the store unless yeah. they've come but and you asked you. But you do digitally, about it. yes, exactly. Yes. But on online, you have learned that. That's a valuable mm-hmm. piece of information. Like this customer selected this one, they settled for this, mm-hmm. but I had now I've had twenty customers in the same day that did the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. That tells me I need to be stocking more of brand A. Yeah, right. that's useful information, and it's useful information for their brands as well. Mm-hmm. So again, it's all I think it all comes back to one big picture of just understanding what's happening in your environment. Absolutely. Optimizing your processes. Yep. I, I get the feeling over time as, as people, you know, as, as these, you know, grocery businesses start thinking more about this and start expanding the technology and working more at it. Oh, yes. Those margins are going to get back to maybe yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. Hopefully, And they're going to use be. data to drive a lot of that, yeah. right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. As you just described. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, David, any last thoughts on this before we get to our value of the VAR? No, I, I think you've, uh, you've pulled out a really important point about, you know, the progression in in the solutions and how we're approaching the this margin loss or this margin preservation across all of these and it's it's not a problem right it's not just expensive for uh, a a regional grocer in you know one area to deliver through uh, a third-party delivery, or to have a, an employee pick the entire order, it's it's an issue and a margin erosion across the uh, entire grocery vertical there. And there's a lot of interest, a lot of work, a lot of investigation into how to preserve those margins, um, and it's progressing all the time. So, it, kind of constantly looking at how we uh, continue to stay at the the leading edge of that tie it into these other investment areas that are happening. The, the inventory management is a really interesting uh, one for me um, that I like to keep my eye on. And, you know, they're going to continue to progress. The solutions are going to continue to improve and the way that they interconnect are, uh, are just going to continue to, to advance throughout the, the next couple of years. All right, well, hey, then before we wrap this up and tell our VARs maybe how they can cash in on this, especially <laughs> if you work in the SMB space, mm-hmm. you know, where they don't have the giant budgets and, That's right. you know, discretionary yeah. funds to go out and introduce any new technology. I want to, as always, thank uh, the Tech Connect members, those who are sponsors of our program, those who sponsor the podcast. Of course, Epson is one of those. Thank you so much for your support of the show and for lending us David today. And also for, you know, putting together your fantastic studio just that's so right. you can look yeah. good on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's, you know, that's that's taking things a step further. Everybody else has got to step up, like you said now. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, for folks that want to uh, stay in touch with us, first of all, if you like the show, you got to tell us. We mm-hmm. need to know. Yep. 
I mean, we're just cruising along here doing our thing. And granted, we'll just keep doing our thing and talking all we want. But we don't know what we don't know if you do or don't like the show. So a couple ways you can do that. One, if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe to our channel, leave a comment for us. Tell us what you thought of the topic. You know, if you've got some other points you want to make or you have questions to ask that we can relay back to the Epson team, Mm -hmm. send those in. Uh, If you're listening on the podcast of your choice, if you have the opportunity to rate and review, please do that, especially on Apple Podcasts. Five-star rating review goes a long way to helping us get, you know, exposed to other folks in the industry mm-hmm. that may not know about us. Uh, and, of course, if you have ideas for the show, mm-hmm. that's really important to us, too. You yep. know, we, we want to make content that you want to hear and, and watch and listen to and <laughs> people you want to, you know, hear from, stuff you want us to talk about, industries you want us to tackle, Not just technology. our aimless rambling. No, yes, I mean, right. again, we can do this all day. <laughs> Dean and I will happily turn the camera on and just that's ramble right. about whatever yeah, yeah, we yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's probably going to make a little more sense if we know what you want to hear from us. So there's always a link in the show notes, whether you are watching on YouTube or listening to a podcast of your choice. Uh, Find this link in there. You can submit ideas to us for the show. Again, who do you want to hear from? What do you want to hear about? What technology should we be talking about? What kind of industry focus do you want us to get into? Is there a product you want us to do a little bit of a deeper dive on with somebody? Leave that information for us just for submitting an idea, whether we use it or not. We will send you a Tech Connect podcast That's t-shirt. Right. There you go. Get a free shirt out of it. Free shirt. Come Done. on. Yep. No Boom. work on your part other than just typing up a few words, coming up with something simple, and we'll send you a t-shirt. Uh, and if we use your idea, we'll maybe even talk to you about it, get a little more insight of what you want to mm-hmm. hear about, mm-hmm. and shout you out on the podcast potentially too. So no reason not to do that. And of course, as always, if you want to stay in contact with us and stay connected with us, you can always find us on Twitter at Tech Connect Pod and email us techconnect at bluestarinc.com. All right, let's wrap things up here. First of all, with our value to the VAR. Yes. We've kind of hinted at a lot of this already. Yes, but, I already did mine. But let's, okay, you okay. did, yeah. So <laughs> we'll let David give his here. So so let's talk about these VARs that are working primarily with SMB grocery chains, independents that are, you know, local independent stores. What's the pitch there? How do they go to these stores and convince them, hey, you need to be up in your game with color labeling. You need to be up in your game with, uh, you know, self-service checkout, whatever it is that, you know, whatever new technology you need to implement in order to make your business a little more efficient. How how does that pitch go with them if they're thinking, look, there's no way I can compete with the big dogs, so why should I try? <laughs> I think it, it starts right there. You don't have to compete directly. You don't have to do the exact same thing as the big dogs to be successful and to, to find the uh, – success for your customer. And I'm going to go, go back to my surveys one more time before you, you send me off here. But RS News, right, they did a survey. Two-thirds of the respondents were grocery operators who had fewer than 10 stores. 71% saw increased private label sales over the last year. This isn't a phenomenon limited to the big guys. And when we get into the SMB space, those, those local, the more embedded stores, the ones who have the connection to the communities that they're around, it's going to be a different key aspect for each of them that really brings that extra level of value to their customers and being, in a, being able to provide that as a VAR with the solutions that allow the dynamism, allow you to change it to match exactly what they're looking for um, is a, a huge value add to them, right? And it, it's not just the labeling one then. If you can tie that into the other services or modules that you're providing, whether it's inventory management, whether it's improving the delivery one, you know, being able to link all of those, which we've talked, we've been doing during the podcast today, the more of those that you can link, the more that you, the more interest it drives from the customers, the more that they're going to want to, to source from you and the more revenue that comes from it. There Perfect. you go. I love yep. it. I love it. All right. The only thing I'll add on here is a little bit of future proofing. Okay. Uh, so I was recently reading uh, an article about how the White House was conducting a like a hunger and food mm-hmm. summit recently, which mm-hmm. apparently is the first time they've done anything like this since the Nixon administration. <laughs> but, what? Which, yeah. So basically, <laughs> they wanted to get together and talk about like, hey, you know, what can we do to ensure that more people are well fed and that they have healthy choices and basically just you know just addressing you know how people eat and what they eat and what Americans do when it comes. to their food on a regular basis. And part of this conversation that came out of this was this idea that they want to start making even more transparency around how 
good for you or not good for you foods are. And going beyond the basic, like, you know, the giant chart that we see on everything of like, you know, what percentage of daily values of mm-hmm. sodium and yes. carbs and all that right. stuff. The stuff that you might skim over, you might look at the calorie count and that's about it. Exactly. Unless you have a specific dietary yeah, need. Right, right, you know, right. Like, I'll check out where fiber is sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, you know, I try to keep a nice fiber diet mm-hmm. going or whatever. So I might look at that. But otherwise, most people aren't reading through all that stuff. They're not paying attention to the stuff that is, isn't good for them there as much. So there's been talk about, you know, improving those labels and, you know, making them a little more obvious or having some some kind of obvious label indicates good for you. OK, mm. nope, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and I look at this like I, I think someone threw out. I don't know if this is what they'll do or not, like almost like a traffic light kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, green means, hey, this is healthy, good food is good for you, gives you everything you need. Yellow is like, yeah, a little cautionary. It's not terrible, but, you know, be careful. And then red being like, nah, this this is going to taste great, but it's it's not good for you at all, you know. <laughs> so my thing is that if that's the kind of stuff is coming down the bike, and you know, and we know, you know, the slow churn of, you know, government regulation and the, like this kind of stuff happening could be years off. But again, it's a kind of conversation you could potentially have with your grocery partners mm-hmm. and say, hey, I've heard this is coming. There's going to be, you know, a, a necessity for this. And if you're doing Again, your own private label, if you're doing your own in-store, you know, meal kits or pickups or, you know, grab-and-go type food, you're probably going to need to be labeling it this way, too. So yep. let's start talking right now about how you're going to accomplish yep. that because you're going to need to make that You happen. need to get into it. Color right. labeling is yes. going to be the way to do it. That's so. right. Yep, yep. There so you go. To me, just a little bit of future-proofing. There might be a conversation you can start with someone that's a little little more reticent about mm-hmm. this. But mm-hmm. David's suggestions are definitely the go-tos. Mine is just more of a, hey, you know, <laughs> keep keep that in your back pocket as, you know, if, if you get someone is really stubborn and be like, look, you may not have a choice at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keep so, up with the Because the big brands, they're going to pivot quickly. They're going to be of course. They're going to be way ahead of the game. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to be ready to go and roll this yeah, out when it yeah, happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. All right. Let's wrap things up, as always, with our favorite segment, What's Tech Connecting with yes. You? Yes. This is where we get to talk about it. something in the world of science, tech, innovation, something that's caught our attention that we're, we're playing with or paying attention to, or maybe mm-hmm. something that's terrifying. It could mm-hmm. go anyway. David, we'll let you start. What's tech connecting with you right now? I might have a couple of, I might have a combination of terrifying and, and connecting with me, but very excited. The World Cup is coming up, uh, kicking off in November, and it's going to be, you know, kind of the, the coming out party for a new video assistant referee uh, system specifically for the offside rule, right? So without getting into to too many details about um, the rule itself, it's very important, the relative position of the players' uh, bodies on the field. What they're doing, they're installing 12 cameras in every stadium, constantly tracking the position of the ball and 29 different points on every player on the field. Wow. Does it 50 times a second, and they use it to determine whether someone is in an offside position. So having that in every every field, watching uh, all of the players, they're going to use it to show 3D models of the exact position of the players' bodies when the, the ball is kicked, when it becomes an issue on the big screens in the, the stadiums. You know, it's, it's, it's a great uh, step forward in terms of the, the rule itself, but man, that much tracking on that and being able to have that kind of precision installed in these, you know, full stadium sizes. I'm just really interested to see how the the implementation goes off and what is one of the largest sporting events in the world. Absolutely. That is pretty cool. Did not know they were doing that. Talk about a proving ground. You're going to do it anywhere. Do it it during the World Cup. We're just going to do it during the World (laughs) Cup. Yeah, just go straight for the the top (laughs) echelon. I mean, I guess if you want to prove that you can do something, do it on the biggest (laughs) stage possible. So a literal world stage. But it's also good that soccer, football, whatever, is catching up to the rest of the world, right? I mean, like tennis has had the little, you can see the ball, where it lands on the line. Of course, baseball with the whole, you know, strike zone. Even though the ump is still calling it, (laughs) you know, they they show you that in real time. That's interesting. I guess yeah. I guess some umpires are out of a job though. Those guys with the flags. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll let's we'll call it, they'll reallocate them to other they'll reallocate to other them. Yes. <laughs> yes. They'll do like uh, Honestly, know. you know, if I were in that job, I'd probably feel a little bit better this too because at least no one can scream and yell at you and you know, send death yeah. threats to you or yeah. whatever because they think that you got a call. Terrible wrong. call. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I always go back to if you remember, this has probably been about a decade ago now, the the guy who called the it was a, a major league baseball umpire, and he called. There was a perfect game in progress. The Tigers, yep. uh, Armando Galarraga, I think it was his name, Remember. had a perfect game. A guy who had nothing else going on in his career, but could have had a perfect game. Yep. And 
a a ball that was a clear out at first got called by the ump as a single. Mm-hmm. And everyone on the planet, you know, the replay is very clear. <laughs> Granted, you know, now they have replay challenges to do that. Very clear. But this poor man, you know, had his life probably torn apart. Like yeah. he he felt genuinely bad about yeah. this. Bad He'd call. ruined this kid's right. life. Or not ruined his life. You know, he's still a well paid baseball mm-hmm. player, but like ruined his chance at history. Yes, history yes. Books, yeah, there you, you know, go. Yeah. Because of one bad the call. The asterisk like, call. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that, I think about stuff like that. I'm like, you know, I if I were an maybe umpire, we maybe I would yeah, be a little yeah. more okay with this kind of stuff. Like as yeah. long as it doesn't put me out of a job, I might be like, all right, this takes the burden off people getting mad at me about this stuff. <laughs> so all right. That's D, a good one, David. Let's take right. a with you. So I got two. I got a follow up to one that I had Previously, you know, the whole DART mission by NASA yes. to, to nudge yes. Diamorphus, the this. results are in. Yep. So we already know that it was able to slow down uh, Diamorphus by 32 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, instead of Apparently taking... Apparently it was better than they expected it to Better be. than they expected. And instead of taking 11 hours and 55 minutes to orbit around the other whatever asteroid that's right, out there, right. it can do it. It's doing it in 11 hours and 23 minutes. So it's... It, it, right? Yeah. They did what I mean, they wanted we, it to do. We accomplished the mission. They can nudge it. We can, we can move stuff in space intentionally. And now I think the guy from NASA is quoted as saying he's like defending Earth at this point in time. You know, we got it. All right. So NASA has the defense I, done. I have now a science fiction idea oh. for someone to write or make a movie out of. Yes. We deflect an asteroid that's on its way to Earth. Yes. And eventually, like, I don't know, let's say a million years later or a thousand years later, it finds its way to like an alien planet and oh. destroys it. And they realize we were the ones that did it and they come for revenge. <laughs> Man, that's a. It's got. It takes a little long <laughs> to play it's out, but, exactly. but that's okay. Can you imagine one day you're just hanging around and like all of a sudden aliens invade and you're like, "What's your beef with this?" Like, <laughs> you know, like, you no, know. we don't. Yeah. Like, a thousand years ago, yeah, you yeah, deflected yeah, yeah. an asteroid and it destroyed our planet, and it's taken us another thousand years to get here, but we're on it. Oh, yeah. That's just your pal, like the Star Wars universe. Now yeah, you can have like a thousand years that you can do all these development stories see, see, in between. See, yes, exactly. all right. So here's my second one. Okay, Boston right. Dynamics and five other robotics companies pledge not to weaponize their prototypes. Oh, was it? Not today's, but this was on my list. All right. So, you know, that's kind of good news, right? (laughs) So I don't know, David, we we always talk about Boston Robotics and, you know, those are the guys that come out with these robots that seemingly do human or dog, right? Right, They've got their dog too that's out there. Well, here's a quote. We believe that adding weapons to robots that are remotely or autonomously operated, widely available to the public and capable of navigating (laughs) to previously inaccessible locations where people live and work raises new risks of harm and serious ethical issues. Okay, so so thank you very much to Boston (laughs) Dynamics, but not so fast, not so fast. Ghost Robotics, who's another robotics out there, is not really signing on to this letter. It was literally like a That's letter. That's exactly what I thought too. Like, okay, isn't somebody so, going to sit there and go like, well, okay, well, their loss is our gain now, you know? Well, so Ghost Robotics would be the one. And, and here's their quote. Why, we don't make the payloads. Are we going to promote and advertise that any of these uh, weapon systems? Well, probably not. But that's a tough one to answer because we're selling to the military. We don't want to blah, 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 right, blah, blah. Right. So there is still one out there that yeah. is not signed on to the letter that they're not going to so there you go. When the these. robot apocalypse occurs, you know, it's, ghost it's not Cyberdyne. It's Ghost, ghost Robotics. Yes. <laughs> Just thought I'd give you the inside yeah. edge on that. Yeah, I saw that article, too. It was one of those, like, I read that originally and was like, oh, this is but, great. But, but like, wait you know? a minute. I have even more better news for oh, you okay. Here. All right. Ghost Robotics, your direct quote, we do draw the line on where these are sold. We okay. only sell to the U.S. and allied, and allied governments. We don't even sell our robots or enterprise customers and, and blah, blah, blah. We're, we get inquiries from Russia and China, but we don't ship there. So there, right? Okay, yeah, so if they're going to build them, if they're going to only build Today's the ally is tomorrow's enemy. Oh. Let's be honest. So that's not giving you any no, comfort? It, I mean, sure, I was, maybe I in the immediacy it's yeah. fine, but yeah. Yeah. We piss off the wrong ally, and tomorrow they decide, like, hey, send the robot dogs after them. You know. Well, now you know. So anyway, what's tech connecting with you, John? All right. So, uh, okay. So, you know, let's say you um, you went out and you got yourself a brand new iPhone 14. Okay, Maybe fair one enough. of the newest Apple Watches. Yeah, whiz bang. Well, there's a cool new innovation with those that, that people are, are, are enjoying and think is a nice safety aspect. It's called crash detection. Oh, okay. So basically, if you have a new iPhone 14 ah. or most of the new Apple smartwatches, they have crash detection built in. They use like basically the gyroscopes mm-hmm. within them and and some other sensors or whatever to identify like if you've been in a major crash, 
it will send an alert. To, uh, you know, it basically gives you 10 seconds to manually override. Mm. Otherwise, it will send an alert to emergency services that something has happened to you. This is something I hope to never use, but go ahead. Exactly. Yeah. I hope so, yes, too. Yes. I think it's a smart innovation. I think it's a useful one. However, as is Uh-oh. the case with a lot of innovations, Uh-oh. there's been a bug that's been found. <laughs> Which is that apparently if you ride a roller coaster with these, it thinks that you've been in a crash. Yeah, you're dying. Clearly, your body is being flailed around in some way. And I'm sorry, when I'm riding a roller coaster, I'm not going to pay attention to an alert that tells me you've got 10 seconds before we call EMS. Are you serious, bro? So so these things are like dialing out. Anybody's riding EMS has been been, falsely called to amusement parks for potential injury and crashes that are not actually happening. All right, so we need a swipe left and then yeah. a little roller coaster no, icon. You can, so exactly. Like you can turn, turn it off, it off mm-hmm. obviously, or you could not take it on to the, the coaster yes. with you. But yes, there probably needs to be something. Yeah. I, I would almost think you'd have to have something that kind of like when you go to certain places and like, you know, your phone location tracks and knows where right? you are. Right, it knows. Like, it needs to shut it I down. see you're in an amusement park. Would you yeah. like to turn off crash detection so you can yeah. comfortably ride roller coasters without being oh, hassled see? today? You know? No, there's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Uh, so if that doesn't automatically and somebody actually does have a thing and then they take yeah, their... Exactly. Co- oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I, and yeah. now, see, granted, where, I'm sure the, to me, the benefits outweigh this potential issue. And I'm sure even, 100%. even the folks in EMS would be Any like, hey, real, right, yeah. we'd rather be able to go help the folks that this actually needed to be Help that we're in a serious accident or something, yeah, 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 yeah. and maybe have a few false calls because someone's riding your roller coaster than, right. than not having this technology at all. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. All right, but I'm sure they'll probably figure out some way to help out with that. So, <laughs> all right, that does it for us today. Uh, David Vanderdusen from Epson, thank you so much for Thanks, joining David. us today. Thanks for having me. Look forward to the next time. Yeah, we got we to gotta unplug. So until next time, uh, go have a drink at your grocery bar. Yeah, of apparently. course. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and Private labeled beer. And hopefully you don't get into an auto accident after no, the fact. If you do, true. have an iPhone 14. If you ride a roller coaster, you might be in some trouble too. But Fair enough. <laughs> until next time, <laughs> folks, please stay connected. TechNet Podcast is brought to you by Epson. Looking to enable your customers with fast, portable wireless receipt printers? Who wouldn't? Well, yeah, exactly. Right? Epson has you covered with their latest in their line of mobile link printers, the 3-inch TMP82 and the 2-inch P22. Now, the first thing that struck me about these printers is the sleek, simplistic yes. I was going to say, them. have you seen these they things? They are so cool. Like, they remind cool. me of the simple design like of the Apple TV, yep. the, like the actual yep. streaming set top exactly. box. Yep. But, it has just got, but it's got a slot for a receipt. Other yep. than that, like, it's just it's so cool. It's just Perfect. this cool little yep. rectangular puck kind of mm-hmm. shape. I love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, beyond looking cool, Epson has packed these new models with features perfect for on-the-go POS needs. They're ultra-compact and lightweight for easy belt clipping, IP54 water and dust resistant with up to 6.9-foot drop protection long battery life, 27 hours for the 2-inch model, 47 for the 3-inch. I can't even get that out of only any of my devices. Yeah, right. Uh, and fast charge in as little as two and a half hours. What? So we know Epson is big on connectivity also. Mm. So both models offer Wi-Fi 5 or Bluetooth 5.0, exceptional print quality, 100 millimeter per second print speeds, one-year limited warranty with extended plan options. As the generations younger than us might say, these printers slap. <laughs> I like it. I don't know what that means, but they slap. Man, I feel so old saying that. They're They're good. good. But let's be honest. Back in the day, we used to say things like bad. It's bad. Meaning good. Right? Yes. It's sick. Meaning good. Whatever. Whatever. Check out the link in the show notes for spec sheets on the new Mobile League printers and just marvel at the lovely simplicity of these devices.